Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're almost done with the armor of God. Uh, we're, we're actually going to be done with the parts of the armor of God, but we're not going to be done with the actual um, serious or the fight against the devil's schemes because we at the end it is a very important important part that it finished off with the with the sword of the spirit and the word of which is the word of god but then it talks about prayer in the spirit so we're going to talk more about that um next week when we, when we meet but that's we're going to also talk about the cloak of vengeance yes which is not listed in this account of the armor of God, but it is listed in the Old Testament account of the armor of God. So yeah. we're going to talk about the cloak of vengeance yeah. and prayer. Exactly. Is so that in Psalms? Yeah, Isaiah fifteen Isaiah, seventeen. Isaiah, Isaiah fifteen <laughs> seventeen. It's it's really power. It's really powerful. We'll That's, save it for next. What I have it right here. Okay. It's intriguing. It, it is. <laughs> I, it's just the suspense. It's, it is exciting. It's in Isaiah fifty nine seventeen, and it's again we. The reason we need the armor of God, the reason we need the Savior is because the, this prophecy in Isaiah 59, it actually starts with 16. It says, he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. And this is God talking about it. And next it says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in cloak. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're excited about what's happening. But again, it's, it's the whole thing of this fight, this spiritual fight that, that we're into, the way of, um, this armor of God started off with that we are finding, fighting against the devil's schemes. We are, the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we need to remember that this fight is not a fight that we can just throw hands or do use any other weapon that is in our hands or, or available to us. It is all done spiritually. That's why as we went through the armor of God, we didn't really focus too much about the actual shield or breastplate or whatever else. We focused about what is the spiritual part of it that, that is connected to our fight. And the greatest thing that we kept on repeating over and over again is this fight has already been done and all we do is stand firm. God has done so much for us, so he's just saying just don't go back. Don't go backwards. Just don't fall down. Don't, don't fall, fall down. Back. Don't. That's why I love that the shoes were or sandals, whatever was was part of it, because he was talking about you know stand strong on the on the word, the word of God. Stand, stand strong. That make sure that you are stable. That you don't slip. That you don't fall. That you don't get pushed back. Just stand firm. So it's it'd be great today, especially after. Last time we talked about helmet of salvation and what is salvation. And we broke down salvation and sanctification and how those two are separate but work together, absolutely work together. And uh, through the week, I've had a very long um, discussions about, about salvation and sanctification with a couple of people and how it's, 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 a hard, it's still hard on understanding. You know, like we talk about sanctification, but then we talk about the thief on the cross who had no time 
to show his sanctification. He had no time to show fruit. But there, there was salvation. But he salvation. stood firm to the end. Those he last did stood firm to the end. You know, who knew if he got down from the cross, was there going to be a different judgment? But we didn't, thankfully, we didn't, we didn't know. We never found out. Uh, so today we're in verse 17 uh, of Ephesians chapter 6. It starts off, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're going to look today, we're going to kind of break those things to down, two things down, the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. What are those two things uh, that um, are very important, work together, and how does that look like? We need to identify, again, we're not going to talk about the Roman sword, you know, short sword, it's sharp, it's pointy, it's a sword, okay? But we do want to talk about what does this look like? What is the spiritual uh, message that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was trying to communicate to us? We do know that swords are defensive and offensive, right? When somebody fight, we can block with it, block whatever blows are there, but we also can slash and we can poke somebody with a sword. So what does that look like for us? Um, what does that look like for us for our spiritual fight? And also realizing that this is our only offensive weapon that we have. And as we're going to talk about the sword of the spirit, what does that look like? We understand why this is the only offense that we, offensive weapon that we have against the, the struggle of not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual um, spiritual forces of evil right so the first distinction we want to make just right out of the box is that we've made parallels uh, a lot of times you know they say that when paul wrote this he may have been looking at a guard who was a roman soldier who was you know right next to him as he was in chains you know these are all hypotheses the the picture that he had in mind the illustration he was saying a roman soldier would have been a very common visual that the people would have been familiar with so as he talked about the armor of god it would have came to mind and I think a lot of parallels could be drawn with that. But at the end of the day, what Paul is talking about is an armor that is far superior to what the Roman guards would have been wearing, what any Roman soldier would have had. He's talking about the armor of God. And we have to remember that the armor of God had a precedent, like we said, in the, in the Old Testament, um, in the priestly dress, in the dress of Israeli warriors. Um, there's, there's a visual here. Uh, and when it comes to the sword of the spirit, we tend to think of that. Again, we go to that Roman illustration. You picture a Roman soldier with a, with a sword in his hand, right? And we, I've, how many times have you heard a sermon on the sword of the spirit and they have their Bible in their hand and they're waving it around and this is our sword and you got to have your sword. And well, first of all, your sword doesn't do a whole lot of good if it's just in your hand. It needs to be in your heart and in your mind. So if you're not reading the word of God, because it says very clearly, it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, so there's no question about what the sword is. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And we're going to break down what the word of God is um, and is not today. But the visual that we want to draw from is, that's biblical about the way that the sword of the spirit was carried. The sword of the spirit is not carried in your hand at all. It's not used as an offensive weapon to slash people down. The sword of the, of the spirit uh, was, came out of your mouth. And Isaiah 49 uh, verses 1 and 2 says this. Before I was born, this is Isaiah, the Lord called me. From my birth he made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And, and he goes on to say, so we see this, you know, first in the book of Isaiah, um, that 
the, that God made his mouth, his, the prophetic word, the prophetic utterances that Isaiah would have written in this book were like, it's, the parallel is that his mouth is the sword. And so you're not carrying the sword in your hand. You're carrying the sword with your mouth. The power of the tongue has life and death, we hear in scripture. Uh, and out of it should not come both blessings and curses. And there's all these admonitions to have control over your mouth and over your tongue because God wants to use your word the same way that he used word to create everything in existence, right? He's, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be water. And God said, through his word, the power of his word, there's this life-giving creative force, which is what God wants. And instead, we use the, the, our mouth becomes a sword and we use it to hurt people or to bring destruction or to cause division. And so we have to understand that the sword is not something that we pick up in our hands, but it's something we carry in our mouths. So every time we open up our mouths um, in the spiritual realm, we're, we're either bringing life or we're bringing death through our words and through what we speak. Yeah, Proverbs eighteen twenty one talks about it, that, that your mouth has the power of life and death. And then in, in James chapter 3, it talks about that the, that the tongue can corrupt a person all the way to hell. It's, it's a fiery, um, I forgot the wording of it, but it's, it's like on fire. And it's actually, and it's going to sustain the person himself into hell. He does, in, in James, he doesn't even talk about what, what the tongue does for others. He talks about you're going to get yourself into hell. And I mean, if you think about it, you, if you have the power of, to uh, reject Christ with your mouth, it will send you to condemnation and away from, from, the, from God, right? Right. And so in Revelation, John gets this incredible vision of what Jesus looks like in his transformed state. So he sees a spiritual vision of the spiritual reality of what Christ looks like in his resurrected state. And he describes him like this. He says, I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, not a sword. He held seven stars, which we find out later represents the seven churches. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And we have heard about the word of God being compared to a double-edged sword. And so here we see again this parallel that where are we wielding the sword? You don't wave your Bible around at people and use it as a weapon. You realize that every word that comes out of your mouth, everything that you say, everything that you pray, everything that you meditate on, everything that you think that you speak out into existence is represented by the sword of the spirit. And it comes out of our mouth. So it may not look that way in the physical realm, but remember this, these weapons that we wage, that we, you know, the, the armor that we wear is a spiritual armor. And so in the spiritual realm, Paul makes it clear that we are, to, we are to pick up and take on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so that sword is carried through our tongue, through our mouth. Uh, we see also in, so Revelation here, I said 116, uh, I don't know if I referenced where I was reading from. I apologize for that. Uh, where out of, out of the mouth of the Son of Man came a, a, dark, a sharp double-edged sword. Then when you go to the very next chapter, Revelation 2.16, he says this. Um, these are the words of the angel. Um, this is written to the angel of the church of Pergamum. It says, 
in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Revelation. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So we see here again the sword of the mouth. And the sword is used in this sense to, to bring the wrath of God, um, to bring punishment, to bring judgment. Uh, and then we'll flip uh, still in Revelation because in Revelation we see, again, Revelation is this, John gets this visual representation of the spiritual realm. And so he's seeing things um, not for the physical but for what's happening in the spiritual so Revelation nineteen fifteen, uh, it talks again. Now here it's well. I'll, I'll read back a couple verses. Um, the rider on the white horse that comes in Revelation chapter nineteen, starting in verse eleven. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. So we see this. It's the same illustration of who we was talking about in chapter one. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. And I want you to remember that because we're going to get to that later. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So this same sword that is used to edify the church Right? We know that the word of God is used for teaching, correcting, training, and rebuking in righteousness. The same sword is used to bring the wrath and to bring judgment to the nations who reject Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this is this double-edged sword that we see coming out of the mouth of our Savior. Yeah, and this is Revelation. We talked about, first we looked at Isaiah, where there's, there's this uh, introduction to... Uh, prophecy as the sword as prophecy and everything else. And then we look at Revelation, which is the the other part of what's to come that the John has seen and sees the Son of Man, Jesus, Jesus Christ, who's coming with with this judgment. The interesting part for me was also we hear, we see this sword being talked about. Jesus actually talks about it in Matthew chapter ten, um, which. There's not a lot of talking about this verse because it's not the Jesus that we like to preach, but it's a very powerful verse. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, it says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth, to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So now here Jesus coming in with with the sword that he brings where he's telling people that this world is corrupt and with the sword that's going to come the the message that he's bringing out of his mouth it's going to separate people those who will be condemned and those who will be uh, renewed and uh, have eternal life and that's the separation and if we look at it there it's it's absolutely true a father believes in christ a son does not. There's, there's all this separation. You see it in the world at all times. And it does separate and everything else. And the, the sad part is that here we're kind of in the middle of, uh, of the Bible for us, right? 
in the middle, and we see how he's separating. And then we, from what uh, Church read about in Revelation, we know what happens after that separation, that there's judgment uh, after that separation. So this sword is coming in here, and it's, it's separating uh, those who, who are condemned and those who are not, and then there's judgment coming up. So it's not just him saying, like, you know, that if you if you uh, if you want to reject me or anything like that, oh, well, no, this is I'm coming with a sword. This is a serious thing. But the great thing about this is also this sword is bringing life, too, because it's not only he's he's not condemning the same sword that brings peace with God brings division Mm -hmm. from the world. Exactly. And and that's that's one thing He, he talks about it. If you if you're in love with the world. You can't. You can't be. It's there's there's this huge thing where, if you love love the world, you you hate me, and if you love me, the world will hate you. <laughs> you know, it's it's just one of those things. But it's that sword that kind of cuts through, uh, on the on this kind of teaching and understanding. That's the power of that sword that he brings. So we wanted to. Uh, bring an example of what this actually looks like because we're talking about spiritual warfare and putting on the full armor of God. And Jesus gives us this incredible illustration of what it looks like to take up the sword of the spirit. In, when, he confronts, when he's confronted by Satan himself in Matthew chapter 4, he's led by the spirit. And it, this is the start of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is so poignant for a number of reasons. One, because he uses scripture in order to engage in spiritual warfare against the enemy himself. Um, And that scripture trumps whatever scheme the enemy is trying to use. But it's also, I think, very telling that the very first thing that he attacks is the word of God itself. That he says, I don't live on bread alone, but I live on, the, on what comes from the mouth of God, from the word of God. And the, another interesting layer to this that's kind of lost in the translation is that the tip of a sword was actually called the mouth of the sword. The word for mouth in Greek um, is the same word as the tip of a sword. So there's this... Uh, double meaning that's embedded into the text that we kind of get lost in the English translation. And so there's really, I mean, you can kind of picture in the spiritual realm, this is a, this is a battle with, you know, swords and armor and all of that in the physical realm. It may have just been, and we don't even know if Satan was visible or not, or if Jesus was talking, you know, and against an invisible enemy. Um, we don't, we don't know what it looked like, but in the spiritual realm, there's, this is an actual spiritual warfare utilizing the armor of God. And he uses that word that, um, the word for sword, that he lives on the word that comes from the mouth of God, meaning that sword of the spirit um, is what gives him life. And then it says, of course, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. So now Satan is trying to use the word of God to trap him and trick him. And Jesus retaliates with, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so we see this battle back and forth and back and forth. And what's being utilized is the word of God. And ultimately, we know that after three temptations, 
Um, Jesus finishes with, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came and attended him. And so he, we see that what did Jesus do when he was faced by Satan himself? Jesus used scripture. Jesus used the word of God in order to stand firm. Remember, because we're talking about this isn't necessarily that we go and we attack the legions of demons and we're taking on and storming the gates of hell. All we're called to do is just stand firm. And Jesus gives this incredible example of not backing down and of standing firm. And he uses the word of God in order to persevere and overcome. Yeah. And again, we see this in this fight. The first temptation is the world. He tempts him with, with the worldly need of hunger. He knew exactly what, what, how to do it. And Jesus, of course, shows them that it's not, that is not what he loves. He loves the word of God and he loves who God, who God is. So he just takes that, the same scripture we just looked, uh, looked before, is that my spiritual health, my spiritual well-being is more important than my worldly need and my worldly, my worldly uh, desire and everything else. And I, I, I even like that in this fight, I feel like it's like, uh, you know, Satan attacks him. And the, the, fir- the first one, I feel like Jesus just kind of defends. He's just like, think, okay. And then the second one, and he's like, says something. It's like, it is written. Oh, now he's like coming at him. And the third one, he's like, just get out of here before I kill you. And he comes it's, with a command and with authority yeah, that comes from the he's word He's like, God. you're lucky it's not time. <laughs> right now, I'm just going to shoo you away. So it's, it's like one of those things. And we need to re- realize that, again, the way I started off this, this is a spiritual fight that... We speak the word, and the word is what def- attacks. We don't attack. We don't have any power. And just like in, the, in, the, in Jude, when the, the archangel Michael fighting against, or against Satan, he doesn't say, I defeat you. He said, in the Lord's name, I command. Like, there's that power. the Lord rebuke you. Yeah. So it's, it's not archangel himself. Even Michael, archangel, in the spiritual realm, still knows that the only way he can attack Satan is through the, the Lord's, Lord's power. Not his. Not his at all. So it's that fight. It's, it's just really, really powerful. Yeah. And we know that the word of God, it says in Isaiah 55 verse 11, this promise, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So we know that God's word never returns void. It's never in vain. So if we stand on his word and we, we have his word hidden in our hearts so that we don't sin against him and we, we keep his word, we meditate on it night and day and keep his word on our lips, that we will not be defeated, that we will overcome because his word never returns void, but it always accomplishes. It always finds victory. It always overcomes and it's faithful and, to, and tested and true. Yeah. And then we go to 2 Timothy 3.16 when, where, where Paul talks about the scriptures and the word of God. Uh, when, we talk, when we're talking about the actual writings, we see that this, the scripture is really important for us because it is God-breathed, which is life, mm-hmm. right? God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he gave him life. When, when Jesus came to the, in the upper room, he breathed on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them, right? So here again, the scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good works. 
those those four things and we taught on these before those are a powerful thing teaching rebuking correcting and training it's all these powerful uh tools that we have to stand against the attacks of the devil rebuking correcting training like those are those are very you don't see here defending the faith attacking people for their beliefs you don't see causing division you don't see debating. you know yeah exactly yeah. you know argumentative it you see here that these that the because the sword of the spirit is so powerful because the word of god is so powerful that we need to respond with gentleness and respect yeah yeah so just going deeper so we saw the did did you finish the yeah okay so we we know that the word of God is the word that has been laid out in, in scripture. This is the word of God 101. This is this is our foundation. Everything in our faith must be tested and held according to scripture. This has been tested by generations, by d- dozens of authors over, th- you know, thousands of years and in three different languages and through centuries of Christians who have leaned against this word and have held it fast because they have found his word is living and active that it's tried and true and it helped them navigate the pitfalls of life and it helped them to stand firm to the end and so we know that this is our number one source scripture is our number one source the old and new testament um for being able to stand against the enemy's schemes and to stand firm that we when we need a word from god um you know, someone might say, oh, the, the Lord gave me a word for you or the Lord gave me a word. I don't know if that was really from the Lord, but we know that this right here, this what comes from this book um, has been proven and tested. And we can depend on this, that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit um, and is a living, breathing word of God. But where we want to push a little bit further uh, is that the word of God, we need to expand what our understanding is of the word of God uh, in the sense that. John, again, tells us, because John has this incredible understanding with the visions and the dreams and having walked with Jesus, um, he theologically guides us through uh, not only what the sword of the spirit is, but what the word of God is. And it says in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 14, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so there's this powerful reality that not only is the word of God, this text that we have in scripture that has been compiled by faithful Christians through the ages, but Jesus himself is the word of God. He is the word made flesh. This text, all of these books are just simply testify and point to the reality of who Jesus is Amen. and who he was, you know, yeah. who he was and the fact that he is living and active. Yeah. Um, so pointing out from um, Hebrews chapter four um, to just hone in on this. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active. And he's not talking about the text of scripture because some of these weren't even considered scripture at this point. What he's talking about is Jesus is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. And so we see that the word of God is not just words on a page. It's not just the the text of scripture, but the word of God is living and active. The word made flesh, making his dwelling among us. 
the resurrected King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, who, who speaks to us not just from Genesis to Revelation, but is alive and well and is speaking to us today. Yeah, and that, that goes back to a whole point. Though when in Genesis, when the creation was made and the sin and we were fallen, uh, we sinned and we fell from grace, God gives us, tells us that the seed is going to be the one who's going to step on the head of a serpent. So that's the seed who's going to attack it and kill the serpent. The only, the only one who had that power is Jesus. So we need to focus on that, that the word of God, like I love how Trish said it, that from, from Genesis to Revelation, it was just the, the explanation of who Jesus was and how he was going to be and everything else. But, but the actual word of God is, is, is Christ. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's, we see the victory on the cross. That's where the sword of God, like he is like, when he talks about his right arm in the Isaiah 59, 17, that he couldn't find, there was nobody there. The salvation came from his right arm. Right, and we say we were we're told in the in the Bible that when Jesus resurrected, he came to sit on the right side of of the throne, right, of the Father. So we see that connection over and over again, and, and I love it. It's so powerful, and, and again, it's that whole thing. We stand firm, and the attack, the only attack we need to have is our faith in Christ Jesus of what he did on the cross for us and how God resurrected him from the, from, from the grave. That, that is our offense. And it has nothing to do with us because Christ did all of it. Right, but we, through the Holy Spirit, through accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become part of, again, yes. the body of Christ. Yes. And together, collectively, the presence of Christ, we become the hands and feet of Christ and, and the word of God can be spoken through us uh, because he's living and active and he's alive and well today. And so we don't just have to rely on, I mean, we have to become adept at scripture, reading the word, having his word hidden in our heart again, so that we might not sin against him, having that word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth in order to stand against the enemy's schemes. But we also have this incredible living and active, the presence of Jesus with us, living in us and through us, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, giving us the word of God that's new each morning. His mercies are new each morning. And every test and every trial that we face, we need not fear, we need not worry, because he will give us the words that we need to say. He even, he even admonishes his, um, his disciples with that. He says that you'll be handed over to the synagogue rulers and to the authorities, and you'll be tested. And he said, don't worry about what you will say, because the Holy Spirit will give you a word when you need it. And that's an incredible, we have this access, again, not to just a text from 2,000 years ago, but the word that is living and active as a double-edged sword that is present help in times of trouble today with whatever we may face, with whatever may come our way. Um, that is the power of the sword of the Spirit through the Word of God. Yeah, and it's always with us. The Holy Spirit is always with us. Wherever we go, he says that, that, that he will give us a way out and whatever we're going through because that Holy Spirit is, is in us. The Word of God is in us. Also, Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. Like there's all these things that because, because of our commitment to Jesus Christ and uh, our surrender to him, we can fully trust that he is with us at all times. That 
whatever we're going through, any attacks, even when we're sleeping, even when we're just alone, that Holy Spirit is there to defend. Maybe it's through reminding us of the scripture. Maybe it's through just our focus on what Christ has done. Maybe it's just focus on God. Maybe it's bringing us that worship song that we need. We need it. Maybe it's a phone call. The Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we're lost and confused, the Holy Spirit is going to cry out. On our behalf. On our behalf. And I think that that's, that's where we should be able to stand firm. It's because we're standing with our helmet of salvation, with breastplate of righteousness, with the belt of truth, with, uh, with sandals of, of the gospel of peace, with a f- shield of faith and, and the sword that is, that is there fight, fighting the spiritual fight that we sometimes don't know anything about, <laughs> right? But we know that there's victory in it. And that, that is powerful. And I love, I'm excited about next week as we go on to how we really um, start, uh, start the... How do we do this? Yeah, we're, we're starting to participate in, the, in this amazing fight with, uh, with God where it's, uh, it's not just, um, it's not passive. We, be, we become uh, a little participants. active participants in, in this fight, um, knowing that there's victory there. So Amen. it's a good time. It's a good place to be. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.